Who is there for heroes of the families left behind when a service member or first responder dies or is catastrophically injured in the line of duty? Who helps our country's homeless veterans? And who helps our nation to never forget 9-11? Let me tell you who, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. The Foundation's gold star, fallen first responder, smart home, and homeless veteran programs comprise their in-the-line-of-duty programs. They're all dedicated to honoring our nation's heroes and their families. The Foundation's never-forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America. Over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year. Dozens of golf outings. And the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute is educating kids kindergarten through 12th grade to help our nation keep its vow to never forget. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. Never forget the sacrifices of our country's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you are an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be part of your investment portfolio. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investment to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that has historically delivered sound returns. Learn more at LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. We have with us the one and only Chris Rufo for this one. He's got a new book out, America's Cultural Revolution, which we're going to talk about here today on the program. Mr. Rufo, always good to see you. Thanks for being here. It's great to be with you. So talk to me, my friend. The book, what do you dive into? What do we need to know? So America's Cultural Revolution is the story of the radical left's 50-year long march through the institutions. I look at the key thinkers, the key ideologies, the key social movements, and trace their slow institutional capture over the course of the late 20th century, and then finally exploding into public consciousness with uh, the summer of 2020 or the summer of George Floyd. And the, the book seeks to answer a simple question. 
how did our institutions suddenly seem to have been deranged by critical race theory and other ideologies so completely and so quickly? Um, and I try to give a very comprehensive answer to that question in the pages of this book. Well, tell me this. Where was the right during all of this? Like, how, how are we so asleep that somehow we we managed to allow? Is it because we believed in the uh, the always tough to find but fun to talk about for some people neutral space? Like what happened here? How did we find ourselves handing over the institutions to the commies all over the place? Yeah, I, I didn't really a, a, a two part problem. And you identify the first part exactly right. Uh, the radical left was able to hijack and exploit some of the vulnerabilities in, uh, you know, the small L liberal system. And the right had this notion that institutions could be neutral, that all voices could uh, proliferate. Um, but we know now, in hindsight, that institutions cannot be neutral and that uh, the radical left has no interest in pluralism or tolerance or, or inclusivity in the real sense of the word. They wanted to use the institutions and, and force their ideology on others. But the second element, and this is something I think you'll be particularly interested in, is that the right essentially fell asleep after the end of the Cold War. Many of our leading intellectuals and political figures decided that, you know, we had defeated the communists and that, that ideology would never rise again. It had been um, totally invalidated by the process of history. Uh, we had reached, you know, the end of history in a sense. Um, but uh, the left-wing radicals uh, did not stop at the fall of the Soviet Union. It didn't deter them. Uh, it didn't force them to abandon their ideology. They just changed it and adapted it and kept working. And unfortunately, the right um, kind of ceded uh, responsibility and really stopped standing guard on the institutions until it was too late, until they discovered that they had lost control of those institutions altogether. Did it really start with the universities in terms of the the infiltration, was that the first place that it really took hold? Or was it, you know, different uh, components of journalism, the think tanks? W where did the radical left in a post-World War II America establish its first footholds? Yeah, uh, you're, you're, you're spot on. And it really did begin in the universities in the late 1960s. And they write about this explicitly in a lot of the material that I cover in the book. Um, you know, they said that the proletariat working class revolution was not going to happen. It was impossible in the West and particularly impossible in the United States, where most uh, working people were actually quite happy with their standard of living and the country that they were living in. So they said the one place where we think that we have the base of power, what they called the initial revolutionary institution, was the university campus. And so uh, they decided to start there and then slowly work their way out into media, K through 12 schools, government bureaucracies, HR programs, and, uh, you know, so-called racial sensitivity training, which became DEI training. And this was really a remarkably effective strategy. They started very small with a very small group of people, but they were able to spread their influence throughout the institutions in a really sophisticated way um, that was largely undetected by the right for far too long. Now, when you talk about cultural revolution, obviously people think of the Maoist cultural revolution in China. Do you see some connective ideological tissue uh, between the two in, in a way that manifested itself in, you know, the actual processes of taking over? I mean, you know, what, what kind of comparisons? The title obviously evokes the comparison. So what kind of comparisons do you actually make in the book? 
Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I make my own comparisons, of course, but but really, you don't even have to have to trust my judgment. The leading left wing intellectuals of the time uh, made the comparison explicitly. Um, they elaborated a theory of cultural revolution, and they said we have to learn from what's happening in China, what's happening in in the African uh, colonial liberation movements, what's happening in all of these other places. We have to have a cultural revolution of the same kind in the West. Um, and then also the, the key concept, really the, the, the heart of the story of the book, is their so-called long march through the institutions. And this is what they called it way back in the early 1970s. And it was a direct allusion to, to then, it wasn't a chairman then, but he was a general uh, uh, in the Chinese Communist Army. Um, and they had this long march through China, actually a long strategic retreat. Um, and then they were able to establish dominance once they had become secure and start the communist revolution, uh, the rule of communist revolution in China. And so they, they adapted not only the language, um, not only the philosophy, not only the basic Marxist, Leninist, revolutionary theory, but they, but they really adapted a lot of the strategies and tactics, sometimes explicitly, sometimes implicitly. But if you look at the ferment that was happening around the world, it was also happening in our country. Speaking to Chris Rufo here. Chris, hold the book up again so I can tell everybody, If you, for those who are watching, America's Cultural Revolution, How the Radical Left uh, Conquered Everything. And if you're not watching because you're not uh, subscribed to the YouTube channel yet, go to youtube.com slash Buck Sexton. Um, and uh, obviously you can go get Chris's book wherever fine books are sold. Um, I want to ask you, Chris, in a second about how the counter-revolution is going, because um, I'm sure that's a big part of what you're writing about as well. Uh, you've got, you know, the, the Bud Light boycott, the success of uh, the Sound of Freedom recently, some of the professional sports leagues and teams feeling like they can't get away with quite the same amount of left-wing stuff. So we'll get to that in a second, but just a word from our sponsor here, Tell the Towers. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tell the Towers Foundation has been honoring America's heroes ever since. The foundation honors fallen and severely injured heroes and their families with mortgage-free homes. This year alone, hundreds of gold star and fallen first responder families with young children and our nation's most severely injured veterans and first responders are receiving homes. More than 500 homeless veterans received housing and services last year and more than 1,500 are receiving housing and services this year. Through the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute, the foundation is educating kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about our nation's darkest day. Join Tell the Towers on its mission to do good. Help America to never forget its greatest heroes. Join me in donating $11 a month to Tell the Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Chris, how are we doing with the counter-revolution against the left-wing lunatics who have taken over all of our institutions, or at least <laughs> most of them? Well, there, there, there's, there's good news and bad news, and uh, I always like to start with the bad news. The bad news is that they've had a 50-year head start. Um, they're in a position of, of entrenched institutional power. Um, but the good news is that over the last really two years, two and a half years now, um, the right has started to awaken to successful strategies of counter-revolution. And so I think it began with the fight uh, against uh, CRT in late 2020. Um, it continued in the fight uh, for uh, uh, control of local school boards in 2021. Um, it moved to uh, gender ideology in 2022, and now we find ourselves pioneering successful strategies to fight uh, woke capital or a kind of left-wing culture war from 
America's largest companies. And so this is a period of, of, of learning, of study, of experimentation, of creating prototypes and new strategies. And uh, I, I think, you know, I've been involved in, in many of these campaigns. Um, I, I've learned a lot and I'm very optimistic at heart because um, the, the, the story that we have to tell, the, the tactics that we have at our disposal, um, the political opportunities that are on the horizon are really only limited by our own creativity um, and, and our own willingness to fight. And as we become more creative, as we have more appetite for actually going out and fighting these fights, uh, I think we're going to see success after success. And, you know, the last chapter in the book is devoted to figuring out exactly how to do that, and outlying some, uh, laying out rather some strategies uh, for the right to achieve this uh, counter-revolution to come. Are you ever surprised, I mean, people who are in the movement on the right are familiar with a, a lot of your work that involves showing the public um, the extent and the uh, extreme nature of some of the left-wing indoctrination that's happening in institutions, whether it's local government bureaucracies or uh, in you know Disney or, or wherever. Um, are you ever at this point, though, surprised at, at how insistent they are at defending the most extreme stuff? I and mean, one thing that has been, I think, a surprise to a lot of uh, folks who are just paying attention to what's going on in the news is that they're not willing to take, it seems, a tactical retreat on, say, drag queen story hour for kids. Instead, they either say it's not happening or they say it is happening and it's a good thing. And that just feels like... Yeah, an issue and you're that, transphobic for, for, for even mentioning it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so <laughs> yeah. I mean, do, do you ever get surprised when you just see how, basically how wacko the left has actually gotten? Yeah, although I think I would, I would, I, I don't think that that is kind of a unitary or universal uh, narrative. And actually, there, there's a big difference right now and a kind of a lag, maybe it's just a lagging indicator. But um, look, I mean, we, we won the fight on critical race theory. Um, we defined it, we attacked it, we changed public opinion about it. The left really stopped defending it. Um, and we've won concrete political victories, legislative victories, school board victories. Um, and I think that you find even the kind of Robin D'Angelo's and Ibram Kendi's and BLM leaders um, having lost uh, all credibility, having really been uh, um, exposed for, for pushing a false ideology. Um, and I think that the left, in some sense, um, uh, threw in the towel in, in, in some ways on these issues. Um, on gender and sexuality, that hasn't happened yet. And I'm still trying to really piece together why. But what I do know is just kind of a basic, you know, what's the status quo right now, is that they have um, doubled down, tripled down, quadrupled down on these things. Drag queen story hour, you know, porn, pornography in schools, um, all of these various um, uh, expressions of, you know, queer theory and ideology, and then also the kind of performance of these ideologies. Um, I think for whatever reason, they're, they're more committed to this um, than on CRT, for example. Um, they're more dogged in the defense, and then they are willing to double down to a greater degree. And I don't know if it's because this campaign uh, uh, to expose this started a year later than CRT, um, but, but, but something is happening there that I think we'll, we'll start to understand better in the coming months and years. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate that you put it, you added a context to it, because on those other issues, you're right, there, ha there have been retreats that have been made, right? And that's, I, I think that's why the gender issue sticks out so much in my mind, because yeah. 
even on CRT, on some of the more extreme stuff, they would say, oh, well, that's not, I mean, you were right on the forefront of this, that's not CRT. They would say, think, you know, they, they were playing games around the debate without yeah. engaging, but you will come across people on the gender debate who say, no, um, for a 50-year-old man to be dressed as a woman wearing a thong and in fishnet tights, you know, jiggling his, like, butt in front of families with children is somehow one of the blessings of liberty. I mean, this is something that we see, you know, that they stick with this. And I I think that it's interesting because it's it's definitely a a political liability. It should be a political liability for them. I want to ask you more, though, about uh, about what you think is going to happen to DEI um, and and just the the CRT, critical race theory, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, the racial entitlement state in the aftermath of the Supreme Court decision that we just saw on college admissions specifically. So let's get into that in, in a second here. But first up, everybody, look, the MyPillow team is celebrating 20 years in business. That's right, 20 years in business. So they're choosing their anniversary to give you great value and opportunities to choose from. Right now, the queen-size MyPillow, you can get it for less than $20, $19.98. The king-size pillow is just $10 more. In addition to this special anniversary offer on the pillows, you'll also find deep discounts on other popular MyPillow products, such as their bed sheets, mattress toppers, pet beds, towels, the My Slippers, and so much more. Just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square to receive their amazing offer on the queen-size MyPillow for $19.98 when you use promo code BUCK. Offer comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-792-3269. That's 800-792-3269. Use promo code BUCK at MyPillow.com to take advantage of these amazing specials. All right, Chris, what do you think happens to the um, diversity, equity, and inclusion bureaucracy now that there's the very real threat, certainly for college um, campuses, you know, universities, of legal action if they discriminated on the basis of gender and race. But some of these programs in the corporate world seem like they're perhaps in jeopardy or are they just going to continue on? How do you see that playing out? Yeah, well, well, this has actually been my big political project for this year. I, I started by uh, putting out model legislation with Manhattan Institute, uh, providing for state legislators to abolish the DEI bureaucracy in all of their public universities. I then did an investigative reporting campaign in, in Florida and Texas exposing some of these really ideological and abusive DEI programs in state universities. And then I worked with Governor DeSantis and legislators in Texas uh, to, to, to help advocate for legislation that passed in both states to actually just abolish all of these programs altogether. And so uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that in Florida and Texas, those DEI programs uh, are, are, have been abolished legislatively. Are they still going to try to kind of hide them and sneak them and do them around the edges, change the names? Yeah, of course, and we have to be vigilant. But what we've done is set the precedent that these programs are not only unnecessary, uh, but they're actually counterproductive to the mission of universities, schools, corporations, all of the various domains where they've taken hold. And we've seen even in the corporate setting, as the economy has tightened, as the, the kind of uh, a hysteria following the death of George Floyd has receded. Companies are quietly shedding many of their DEI jobs, including very lefty companies in Silicon Valley and other places in California, have been quietly firing reams of their DEI employees because they're finding out that these people only create problems. 
They don't offer any solutions. Uh, they're, they're, they're kind of a waste of headcount. They don't, they don't offer add to the productivity any value, of the right? I mean, that's, there's no value in this. It, 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 it just it is ideological and a drain on company resources. That's, yeah, exactly. They offer actually negative value, right? Every dollar you pay for DEI, you, you, know, you lose uh, $2. So it's, uh, uh, it, it, it's not a good deal. Um, and, and so I think we're seeing a, a really big shift. Um, and I'd like to accelerate that shift. And I'd like to see especially policymakers starting to just say, you know what? We want to have strict colorblind equality. We're going to treat everyone equally as an individual. And we're going to have no left-wing, highly ideological DEI departments in any of our state institutions. It's not necessary. It's not good. Um, and it's not something that we're going to do. And, and, you know, two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, was that feasible? Uh, I don't think so. But we've built the case over, over a few years, starting with CRT, uh, and we're going after it relentlessly. Uh, we've now abolished it in two of the largest red states. And I think that when legislatures are back in session in other states, we're going to see a remarkable domino effect to start to wipe out some of these DEI departments for good. Now, places like Disney, some of these big companies, we saw what happened to Bud Light, right? Trying to, I don't even think it was trying to appeal to a, a subset of its customer base, which I don't know how popular Bud Light is or was with it, with the transgender community, but to virtue signal to the left that we're a company that, you know, cares about this issue, whatever. Um, Disney, I know you, you were involved, I believe in showing, I mean, I've talked about this, this video many times. W was it, was it your work that got the video out there of the woman who yeah, said that she had a, yeah, yeah. Well, hat tip to yeah. you. That was amazing. That yeah. the head of creative content at Disney said that she had a pansexual and a <laughs> non-binary, like two, a pansexual child and a non-binary child. I, do these people? What are the odds? And yeah, right. what are the odds? What are the odds? <laughs> do these people believe this, or do they think they have to say this stuff because they're afraid of the woke Marxist in the HR department? In your experience? Oh no, no, they they absolutely believe it, and that person in, in particular is is a is a diehard you know true believer um, you know, and and it's just you know kind of eye popping uh, and, and and almost unimaginable, but. What, what these identities have become uh, is uh, luxury objects. There was a time in America's, you know, kind of, uh, you know, Wall Street 80s heyday where you, you might want to drive a Lamborghini and have a, you know, a, a Prada suit. I don't know. I'm not, a, not, not in that world. But, you know, those were the status symbols. But now, like, uh, having children with unique sexualities um, is the thing that you want to show the world and, and shows how tolerant and open and cultured and advanced and free thinking you are. And so she, she's bragging to her things. I have a one pansexual child and one transgender child. And, 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 and so therefore I'm, I'm kind of the moral authority. Um, but I think it comes from a, a place of, of, of kind of a sense of moral um, of fear. Um, you know, these are, this is, you know, a, a, a middle-aged white woman. Uh, she's got to stand out in the corporate environment. Well, what better way than to have a kind of, a, a kind of small uh, uh, cornucopia of, uh, of sexual identities uh, among your offspring. I mean, it's, it, it seems bizarre when you actually see the video from the public point of view. But if you're actually inside these places and institutions, um, this is just like the normal conversation. This is the day-to-day -day banter and, and, and chitter-chatter that happens. And so my job is to take this stuff and expose it to the public and to actually have some real feedback for these folks. 
Um, um, and I think that with Disney, we certainly did that. That was a quite a big, quite a big story. Yeah. And we've talked about it many times and, and credited uh, your work on it. Cause it's, uh, pretty amazing. Um, I want to come back in a second. I'm going to ask you a question, but I want you to hold, don't answer quite yet, but I, I want to, I want to ask you this, uh, and then a word from our sponsor, but it's, what is the, what is for you just the most outrageous, like the craziest DEI training material stuff you've come across from any institution? Like where was it and what was it? All right. Can I, can I get to back to that in a second? We'll, we'll mm-hmm. deal with this one. You know, Chris has uh, written a book, which I'm sure is uh, about to be, if it's not already a bestseller. Uh, it's just out, so the numbers are going up, folks. But you know what? If you're writing a book, if you're just working on a project, you've got something going on at home, what happens if your computer fails you? Look, it can happen. It happened to me the other day. A computer wouldn't turn on. I figured it out after a while. I had a dead battery situation. Stuff, stuff goes on. What happens if you either leave it in the back of a chair on an airplane or if you have it crash and files are corrupted? why you need iDrive. With iDrive, you can back up everything on your PC, Mac, your server, everything, right? This is a company holding the record for eight years in a row of winning PC Magazine's best cloud backup solution for everyone, consumers and businesses. iDrive is the easiest, most secure cloud backup solution. Plans start at less than $7 a month. Get 90% off that for your first year when you use my name, Buck, in the purchase uh, process. Go to idrive.com, as in I, the letter, drive.com. Use my name, Buck, for that 90% off discount. All right, Chris, the craziest DEI stuff you've come across so far. If you had to give an award for the DEI craziest, it would be. Yeah, well, that's a great idea. I should I should create an annual award for, for the best one, but I, I think that the best one was one of actually my early stories. Um, at the Sandia National Nuclear Laboratories. These are the engineers and technicians that are responsible for actually building America's nuclear arsenal. So uh, creating the nuclear weapons that, uh, that are a cornerstone of our defense. And the laboratory um, decided to send their white male employees to a three-day white male re-education camp uh, in which they had to learn about their, their privilege. They had to learn about how they had internalized you know, oppressions, uh, they had to actually write fictitious uh, letters to to women and minorities apologizing uh, uh, for their whiteness, um, and, uh, and 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 I had all the documents, you know, uh, uh, from this session, and it was just like the most humiliating, degrading, just sad and pathetic thing I've ever seen. Um, and then, okay, whatever, something's degrading and sad and humiliating, you know, such as life. But then you think, wait a minute, these are people that build our nuclear weapons. Uh, it's not just a, a, a make-work job in the bureaucracy. It's actually pretty important to have guys that are competent and, and good at their job. So I, I would say that is, of all the stories, probably the one that sticks out in my mind the most. That's a great answer. Everyone should get a copy of America's Cultural Revolution from our friend Chris Rufo. Chris, always appreciate your work. I'm going to get a copy of the book. I look forward to reading it. And thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Since 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been committed to improving the lives of America's veterans, first responders, and their families. For over 20 years, the foundation has helped America keep its solemn promise to never forget. Tunnel to Towers provides mortgage-free homes to Gold Star families and the families of fallen first responders with young children and builds specially adapted smart homes for catastrophically injured veterans, as well as work to eradicate veteran homelessness. David Marshall served in the Army during World War II and fought in the Battle of the Bulge. He's never forgotten the sacrifices of his comrades in arms, nor the efforts of first responders on 9-11 and in the days and months that followed. He is a loyal and proud Foundation donor. 
Tunnel to Towers is committed to supporting veterans, first responders, and their families, and so many of them need your help. Join the foundation on its mission to do good and never forget. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. If you are an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be part of your investment portfolio. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investment to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that has historically delivered sound returns. Learn more at LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.